Lord, I uh, confess I am impulsive and attracted to something else other than the gospel. Thank you for the gift. The gift of, of the church, the gift of scripture. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to be drawn in. Help us to be, to be focused on what is right and good and life-changing. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, so you are in the, the, I don't know, in an elevator with someone at work, and you've got, uh, you know, three minutes or so. You're in the parking lot at work, um, talking with a friend at a kitchen table. And you, you have a chance to explain the gospel Somehow, for some reason, it's come up, uh, why do you attend church? And you might want to take that and to kind of change it a bit and talk about Jesus. And uh, you've, got, you've, got, you've got it about three or four minutes, maybe longer, but what would you say? Can you summarize the gospel? What is the gospel? And where would you start? Where would you start? And again, you just have a short amount of time. Short amount of time. What do you want to communicate? Um, I had the privilege of seeing a, a woman come to faith. Some of you will remember uh, her from many, many years ago. She'd had a near-death experience having triplets. And I can only imagine that would be really something else, having triplets, right? She came into my office, and for some reason she was on, because of this near-death experience, she was on a spiritual quest to search out the religions of the world and find God. So she started with me. <laughs> Somehow we knew each other, and so here we are. Where would you, where would you start? Where would you start? So we read the Ten Commandments together. And then I said, how are you doing? Now, why did I start with the Ten Commandments? Because I wanted God to take his law and the, the law to do its thing. Before you can get to the good news, there has to be some bad news. And so I started with the Ten Commandments, and uh, not quite knowing how to respond, she said, well, um, I guess it's a matter of of, of processing, <laughs> processing, like sort of, pro- I got to process this. And, and then I said, well, what happens when you're all done processing? And what am I trying to do? I'm trying to point out what the law points out. I'm trying to, trying to let the law do its thing. Driving 65 in a 35-mile-an-hour zone, the law does its thing on your heart, doesn't it? That that 35-mile-an-hour sign doesn't help you at all, does it? Does it give you any mercy? Not at all. You're in the rebel zone, and there's a uh, Honolulu police woman or man who wants to tell you about your rebellion, How you are, ready, under law. And you were under law before you broke it. 
You just thought you were free. If you drive five miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour zone, you're under law, by the way, right? You can't drive too slow. You can't drive too, too fast. Boy, these, this, this government runs our lives, and they control every aspect of our lives. Well, they often think that, don't they? So why did I start with that? And so what was delightful is to explain to her the purpose of the law and, of course, to discover we have a sinner sitting in my, sitting in my office. And it's hard to find sinners, by the way. Sinners deflect. Not everyone, not everyone is easy to quickly, not everyone quickly says, oh, what, sure, that's me. Not everyone says that. The religious people in Jesus' day didn't say that. They didn't come running to Jesus with an awareness of how they fell short. No, they had an understanding of forgiveness, or at least the idea that they had a place to give an offering, yes, but they were particularly not interested in, in repenting of their good works. That even what they do falls short of the glory of God. Well, and that's, no, we kill people for that. If you threaten our righteousness, and by the way, if you do that, watch the, the nails grow. You threaten someone's righteousness system, wear a helmet. So it was so sweet. She came to trust in Christ, the law keeper. There it is, the law keeper. So back to our original question. You've got three minutes. Where would you start? I want to recommend it to you. Well, you know, when you're just talking, well, you know, the Bible starts with the Ten Commandments. Say that. What? Yep. Ten Commandments are like hovering over you, and they're not going away. Nope. Can't relegate them to a courtroom. You can't relegate them to the church. They're in your heart. Romans 2 says that, right? And they're not going away. And you're aware. I'm aware. And that's where you start. You just, yep. Pass the potatoes. Thank you. That's it. Good. Just just share like that. Now, I'm not righteous. I bro- I'm a radical uh, breaker of God's law. That's where I am. That's who I am, right? Some people are amazed that you're religious. Some people are amazed you're a Christian. Some people think that you're like, whoa, you just got this moral resolve. Look how good good for you. It's so great. Look at you. I'm proud of you. Maybe they're not, not being sarcastic. Maybe they're genuinely impressed. I'm, I'm glad you're my neighbor. All that, right? You want to just break that down. That's all foolish talk, according to the Bible. So you want to just knock that down, bring in the law. So, first question, and we will get to verse 21. All right, we'll get there. What is the law? God, it's the law is God's holy and righteous will. Now, the law is external. Well, you've got it right here. Got it in Exodus chapter 20. That's Mount Sinai. That's when the, the law comes in this, this form that Israel received. External. But it also shows up with Adam. God says, hey, this whole place is yours, but there's going to be a symbol. Essentially, God's saying there's going to be a symbol of, of your obedience to me. That's what's going on in the garden. A symbol. God loves symbolism, by the way. And so there's a symbol of, of our relationship. And God essentially is saying, Adam, I want you to know all the time what I think of you. And every time you walk by that tree, 
and you don't partake of the fruit, you can know what I think of you. You have my blessing on you, right? That's, what, that's what's going on, right? Every time. So, for instance, we're going we're gonna to partake of the signs, and God is communicating. These aren't empty. These have meaning, and hopefully the sermon will help help put some meaning into these, right? And God is communicating what he thinks of us in the cup and the bread. And Adam said, well, okay, that's fine for a while. And then he rebelled. I can live life on my own. I don't need to live by every word of God. So the law, though, the law, when God said, you shall obey everything I, I, I say, lest you die. Now, God, isn't, God never just utters words. We sort of are used to that as parents. We just kind of say words that don't mean anything. We're used to, we're kind of used to authorities that aren't going to really back up their, right? Even your commanding officer, you find out how inconsistent he or she is, right? So, yeah, it's just words, right? Some of you may have learned differently than that. But God doesn't just command, God doesn't just command things and then let, let them go. A lot of people in the church think that forgiveness just comes from from a kind of a grandpa figure in the sky. He just he just sweeps these things under some cosmic rug and forgets them. That's just what he does. That's what God's supposed to do. He's supposed to forgive. Mm-mm. Doesn't work that way. So there was a there was a there was an there was an Adam and he was he is a real person and he represented us and he radically rebelled. And he, as if he had a clenched fist, and he believed the lie of Satan and went his own way, his own wisdom, his own way of living. I can be a human being without your authority. Now, everyone who is born in Adam is under that law. So what does the law do? It pierces into and explodes the self. The self we think about, the self we think about, within us it dismantles our our presentation of ourselves to others the first commandment you shall have no other gods before me you shall not even have them close to me you shall not even have them alongside me get them off my mountain get them away from me not even in proximity to me you shall worship me and adore me Give reverence to me. How many of us can say you've never bowed before something else? None of us can. So the law explodes this myth, myth we carry about ourselves, right? And it's doing a good work. By the way, the law is doing a good work. Sometimes as a pastor, when I sort of in clear to preach this way, I feel like I'm the skunk at the picnic. Well, we were all just having a great time, Pastor, until you showed up, you know, and you did all this law stuff, you know. I was feeling good about myself. While I was, uh, I had self-esteem until you walked into the room, you know. Right, there's a sense of like, oh, man, you know, what's this all about? And there's this down thing, right? There's this down. Now, in a gospel church, uh, it goes this way. But there are times when it goes right into the heart. Oh, yeah, that's me. I need a Savior again. But it explodes this self. 
self-accomplishing things. The, 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 the carefully curated self on social media. Mm, how I present myself. I don't, I don't think I've ever read a social media. Uh, my, I am committed to, to revealing my weaknesses. That's all you'll see on my Facebook posts. Nothing but about my weaknesses, my inconsistencies, and my failures. How many likes would you get on that, right? It presents the demands of a holy God, and it shuts our mouths. How about that? And it's very hard to get people to stop talking. In a courtroom, it's, it's hard. You have to have a lawyer tell them, stop talking. It is not wise for you before this law to talk because you could incriminate yourself further. It's a beautiful moment in a courtroom when those who are guilty admit by their silence is true. Romans 3 Verse 19 and 20 begins to discuss the whole world is accountable that every mouth may be closed. Jew, non-Jew. Religious, irreligious. When the law does its work, every mouth will be closed. That's why around the kitchen table you share. You share. Share the Ten Commandments with your, with your friend. Begin to just talk about it. Say, well, this is what... They say, well, what is the, even, what's the Christian faith? Start with the Ten Commandments. Just start. Jesus will not make any sense unless you start with the Ten Commandments. He might be there. He might be there, uh, the one who brings fortune to them. By the way, that's a, an, uh, an observation of, of some uh, missiologists in the in the Taiwanese church. Why hasn't the Taiwanese church taken off? Or the, when when people convert to Christianity, what are they understanding? Many of them think this is the God who will bring me fortune. He's my sugar daddy. Right? But that's just over in Taiwan. Right? That's just over there. We would never do that. Okay. It's the bad news about us. And we are to cry out, like many of the people who encountered Jesus. They were exhausted and they were tired and they were poor in spirit. And Jesus wanted them. They were drawn to him. Remember those famous words Jesus says, Come unto, come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. Is he just talking about you need some rest? Get a good eight hours sleep. That's what you need. That's why I'm here. No, he's talking about those who are burdened, heavy laden, the old English, with the law. They need rest from what? from their guilt. They need rest from their sense of not measuring up. Come to me. Come to me. And we hear in 1 John chapter 4 that perfect love casts out all fear. Ah, now we're transitioning to gospel stuff. The law does its work and it the sinner begins to cry out, where can I get relief? Think of Martin Luther 500 years ago. This most sincere man who took the holiness of God seriously. And, and the tragic mistake 
that he made and he accepted from his church. Essentially this. Look, Martin, you've got to grow in holiness. You've got to demonstrate that you're worthy of grace. And at some point you will be justified. And now you must listen to your church, all its prescriptions, all its prescriptions, I should say. And then you, as you essentially Sanctification leads to justification. Do not believe that. When he first served communion in the monastery, he felt like he was going to die. The elements were seen and understood to be holy. He was overwhelmed with the law's condemnation of himself. And then the scriptures just leap out and realizes it's all about the one who came to keep the law for him. The law had done its good work. Listen to that. It's done its good work. So what does it mean when a person is under law? It means that they are aware not only in the external but in the internal, the internal regions of their heart. They do not meet God's standards. And this is very hard for people to people. We often focus on our 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 activity, right? Um, uh, I don't have an addiction. I don't have this. I'm not this. And we're comparing ourselves with other people in some way, right? And so we think our behavior is meriting something for us. It really does happen. But I like to illustrate it this way. Imagine someone's out in Kailua Beach here. And uh, they're there with their girlfriend, think of a guy, and he sees someone out there, way, way out there, and they are drowning. Terrible. And uh, this guy's a really good swimmer, and uh, he, all right, I'll go save this tourist, you know. So he swims out there, brings him in, takes forever to bring him back in. And by the time he comes back in, the press are there, the media's there, the mayor's there. Hey, this is the kind of person we want in Kailua, right? This is our, this is, hey, all right. So and they interview him, and man, the, the mayor says, man, you're, you're just the kind of guy we want on this beach, and I'm so, you're, we're so proud of you. You're a great citizen. Why did you do it? And he says, well, I really didn't care much about the guy, but I wanted to impress my girlfriend. <laughs> now, was it a good thing he did? Yes, it was. Why did he do it, right? You can do good things but fall short at the motive level. Did he love that man with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Excuse me, that's not the right word. Did he love that man like himself? In a sense, he did, but in a sense, he didn't, right? So what does it mean to be under law? It means that the law has done its work, man, externally and internally, Man, I am, I am a mess. Now, what's the gospel? Verse 21, here it is. There it is. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The gospel, don't bring your righteousness. Don't bring your righteousness. Jesus openly stated, I have not come to call the righteous. So if you are righteous here today, I can say with great assurance based on the word of God, if you feel and sense, I am, I'm righteous, Jesus has not come for you. 
Another way to put it is, I've come for the sick and not for those who are well. And if you think you're well, then you don't need a physician, and Jesus is not, is not present for you. You're already, you've already got your life. You've got it figured out. You want to live on your own, your own righteousness, your own wellness, whatever that means. But if you sense there's a sickness in you, if you sense you need righteousness, oh, oh, you be, God is already at work. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel, the original Greek, simply means announcement. It means good news. Think of some villagers, some middle age, uh, middle, in the Middle Ages perhaps, right? some European scene or something. Think of some villagers, we're all potato farmers. And we're all just, oh, our king is off fighting some battle. Right? Our king is all, and we're, it's been years. And then all of a sudden, we're just out there in the field, we're, we're just... We're just wondering about our crops, and we've almost even forgotten about the, the war. And our king has been gone with armies. And then suddenly this royal announcement, this royal horse with this regal-looking individual, and they, they gather us all around as villagers. And they, this individual announces that our king has won. That's the gospel. It's an announcement. It isn't about your moral improvement. It isn't about instruction for you to improve. It isn't a self-help manual or instructions to uh, increase in some way or another. It is an announcement. It comes outside of you. You are not cooperating with it. You are not adding to it. It is like being invited to a birthday party. You hear the announcement. You do not contribute to it. It is also counterintuitive. We are wired for law. That's, by the way, how, how we treat each other. You're wired for law. We're, it's counterintuitive. What do you mean? I'm trusting some, on someone else for my future and my righteousness. Yep. Now, in the time of Martin Luther, when he discovered that this righteousness was borrowed from Jesus, right? In the time of Martin Luther, he was told, you are believing a fiction. Your righteousness has to be real. It can't be something you just believe. And Luther said, no, it is something I believe, and it's outside of me. It's alien righteousness. That was sometimes when you can't explain things, you make up your own term. And that's what he did. Christian, when you wake up in the morning, you will not feel righteous. And you're going to have to borrow some righteousness to get through the day. You'll never be righteous enough by your performance at work. You'll never be righteous enough by what you achieve in this life. And so you're going to have to figure out each day, Lord, today I am what I am by the grace of God. You are my identity. My identity is not found. And now each of us work this out. The gospel is an announcement. Good news. Now, 
Why did Jesus live those 33 years? He lived those years to achieve righteousness. He didn't need it. He's the second Adam. The second Adam is obeying every word that the Father says. Galatians 4.4, he was born of a woman, born under the law. The law was perfectly fulfilled by him. And Romans 10.4, beautiful, beautiful verse. Romans 10.4, he is the fulfillment of the law for righteousness. The telos, the purpose. He's the fulfillment. Think of your whole Bible. It's, all, it's, like, it's like a peak. It's like a, a top of a triangle or something. And it, it's, Christ is the fulfillment. Everything in the Old Testament is anticipation and promise. And in Christ, the fulfillment takes place. So what happened on the cross? He lives his perfect life for you. And then on the cross, he's treated like a sinner. Right there in your text, he became sin. And who thought of this? The Father. Um, that, that's how the Bible presents it. The Father's the planner. The Son is the implementer. And the Spirit is the, is the one who applies redemption. So he became representatively guilty. He cries, oh, these are beautiful words. It is finished. He says those words, for you. My salvation is complete in Jesus. He rules. Now, how does he rule us? He rules us by this self-giving love. Yeah, we're to grow in conformity to his law. Sure, it's the family code. We're not supposed to be liars. Sure, but we're supposed to grow in this grace. And, of course, it's conforming to Christ. How can you resist this love? And then I ask the question, why is he the second Adam? Because he has come to represent a family, a people. Now, there are really two, two individuals who represent this thing called history. The first Adam and the second Adam. This is a summary of human history. Which one are you associated with? Which one do you align with? Which one do you cast your hope upon? And they have gathered their children around them. They've gathered their children around them. One has brought misery and despair. The other has brought hope and eternal life. So, in union with Christ. You see that little word in verse 21, in him. In him. We have union with Christ by sheer grace. You are connected to him. You are forever stamped with his righteousness. It is a gift of his grace. It is conferred upon you. You may not feel it. You will likely not feel it. Luther was told it was fiction, but it is scripture. We must turn to the scriptures. Luther knew that unless he trusted in the righteousness of Christ, he would have no hope. Now, let me close with a quote from Luther. He says this. I've included this in your worship folder on the sermon page. Gospel, the gospel wills me to receive this and to believe it. And th- I'm at the very bottom of that quote. And this is the truth of the gospel. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well. That's what we've been doing the last 30 minutes. We should know this article well. This is you, three minutes with your friend. Teach it to others 
And then notice the final line. Speaking to ministers. And, and by the way, by the way, when I refer to the, the sign out front, the problems in here, you could also say the problems in the pulpit. How does a church go astray? Someone in the ninth row? Maybe. How does it happen? Someone in the pulpit. Some seminary. That's how the church goes astray. Some academic, flashy, trendy thing. That's how the church goes astray. Beat it into their heads. Why does Luther say this? Because he personally saw works righteousness in his people, though he preached the gospel for 20 years to them. He still saw this sense, I've got to balance the scales. I've got to do some effort. I've got to, I've got to prove my... And Luther saw works righteousness as a tyranny tyranny, a weight on the conscience. Why do you share the gospel with your friend? Because they are under the tyranny of a conscience that could never be cleansed. They may look great. They may dress fashionably, live in a fantastic house. They are under the tyranny of a conscience that will never ever be free from the weight it carries start with the law and then make a clear distinction between law and gospel and may the tone of your interaction be humble 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 what am I doing here by sheer grace let's pray Lord, you're very kind to us. You, you've given us grace instead of, instead of condemnation. Thank you for Jesus who's come to make us new. Thank you that he represents us so well. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.